0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Hear these words. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolishness in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In order that... As it is written, that the one who boast, boast in the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God, be to God. You may be seated. So you mean to tell me the God of the universe, who is infinite in wisdom and power and glory. The God who is ever-present and all-powerful, who knows no equal, came down, put on flesh and bone, and became like one of us. That God subjected himself to weakness, knowing that it meant betrayal, beatings, and death as an outcast criminal. What's more, you're going to say that after he was dead and buried three days that he got up, walked out of a sealed grave Better? than when he went in? And to top it all off, you're going to stand there and tell me that the death and resurrection of this God-man not only saved souls of the people he walked with back then, but it saves you and I today, thousands of years later, that the death of Jesus offers you and I eternal life today, Yes, that's right. That's what I believe. This is foolishness. This is an absolute scandal. An all-powerful, almighty God would never debase himself to do such things. And why? Why go through all this? Why not just stay in the heavens and fix it from there? Friend, you are right to call it a foolish scandal. For if this turns out to be false... then indeed we should be the most pitied people on earth. But if it is true, if it even might be true, then this is the most glorious news from the beginning of time to the depths of eternity. If it's true, then that means that the glory of God manifests itself among us in the flesh, where we would no longer look upon God's glory through a veil, but that we would see him face to face, where we would no longer be called servants that do not know what the master is up to, but that we would be called friends of the Almighty, friends who get to share in the mission of God to restore all creation to fullness and glory. If this gospel message is true and the the cross of Christ satisfies the wrath of God, that all who call on the name of Jesus shall not die but have everlasting life, then that means that we know not a God of inability or indifference, but that we have indeed been in the presence of Emmanuel. English scholar and theologian N.T. Wright gave a speech at Google in 2015 where he said that at a basic level, news is about something that happens as a result of which the world is a different place. Often in ways people don't expect and sometimes in ways they don't want. He goes on to tell the story about November 2nd, 2003. Do any of you know why this date is important? I didn't either. But here's why. November 2nd, 2003, N.T. Wright is in a hotel room in Atlanta for a conference. And these darn American TVs are not showing the most important thing in the world at this time the finals of the World Cup for rugby, right? Where England is playing Australia in Australia. So, right, he has to phone home to England and his daughter's telling him, okay, the score is tied 17 all and it's just gone into overtime. And so he hangs up and he waits patiently, right? He calls back after over, um, what overtime has done. And it turns out that Johnny Wilkinson, the quote, poster boy of English rugby, has done a drop goal, and as a result, the English had won and the Australians had been decimated. And so now here's the dilemma. What is an Englishman to do for celebration in a hotel room in Georgia in the middle of the night? It occurs to him that those working likely have no idea that the Rugby World Cup has just taken place or even care. I mean, we're in America, right? (laughs) So he waits for people to come down uh, for the conference, right, in the morning. Surely somebody at the conference would have known that there was a game on. And finally, someone does come down to the conference room, and they knew about the match. I was an Australian. So as N.T. Wright says, he has this good news that he wants to tell everybody. But it's foolishness to the Americans. It's scandalous to the Australians. But to those of us who believed, it made us happy all year. Okay, they chuckled when he did it, but all right, never mind. And so he closes the story by saying that one of the effects of this game was that hundreds of thousands of English boys and even hundreds of English girls wanted to be Johnny Wilkinson when they grew up, and they'd be practicing drop goals in the schoolyard all year. I still don't know what a drop goal is, but if you're a rugby fan, you can tell me after. News is about something that happens the results of which the world is a different place. See the Corinthian philosophers, they used to sit around and concern themselves in the abstract and the theoretical. They would use their rhetoric and their arguments as a means to their own end. So what does that mean? Well, it's like winning the academic debate about how to do something without actually putting it into practice in real life. It was innovation without application. See, something must first be implemented before it can be imitated. So why does God come down instead of accomplishing salvation from his heavenly throne? Because when love is on the line, there is no choice but present action. When your mission is to save the ones you love and to restore the fractured relationship with the entirety of your creation... Salvation does not come abstractly. Salvation comes down and walks among us. Restoration requires relationship. Relationship requires presence. And so divine restoration is going to require divine presence. God doesn't stay in the heavens. That's too abstract. God is real. God is alive. God is active. So God puts feet to the good news and he walks among us so that the world might be a different place. He looked like us. He smelled like us. He laughed and he cried like us. But he didn't love like us. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God taught us to love like him, a love that lays down his life for his brothers and sisters. Jesus calls his disciples to follow me and then he walks his way to the cross. And so as disciples of Jesus, we are called to come and die, to lay down our lives for one another. But as we identify with Christ in his death, we are likewise identifying with Christ in his resurrection We are called to lay ourselves down at the foot of the cross as a living sacrifice so that God can use our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit upon which he is building a spiritual house, 1 Peter 2, 5 says. We come to the cross laying down everything we have and everything we are as a means by which... We meet the risen Christ and we leave empowered to finish the task that has been set before us, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I don't tell anybody I told you this. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's 2023. The ends of the earth aren't really that far away anymore. I have a supercomputer in my pocket. It's going to connect me to the other side of the world in ways we couldn't have dreamt about even 30 years ago. The secret is the nations have come to you. And so here's the rub. If we're going to reach the nations with the gospel, we're going to have to back up just a second and realize how absurd this story really is. You've heard it your whole lives. At least part of you believes it's true or you wouldn't be in this room right now. You you would have turned the channel uh, if you're on TV, but... This is increasingly not the case for a majority of the people today. And the most common knowledge out there today, aside from no knowledge at all, is a gross misunderstanding and uh, misrepresentation of the love and grace of God. There's a generation that has come up unchurched. And I don't mean that in in a bad way. I don't want to disparage them in any way. This is a wonderful generation with a lot to offer But there is a generational gap between the church you grew up in and the church they never attended. But what's fascinating about this generation, that even with all the confusion and the misinformation and the past sins of the church that drove people away, this new generation is fascinated by religion and spirituality. The willingness of people today to talk about religion and spirituality is open fertile soil that we haven't seen in a long time. But because Christianity seems to be just another religion and a whole host of spiritual options, people are tempted to take the scandalous message of the cross, lump it in with the false gospel they've been given, or lump it in with all the other religions of the world. And so that tempts us in the church to not be so scandalous with our message We water it down to unicorns and rainbows and self-help talks in the place of the Sunday morning sermon. And in doing so, we trade the lifeblood of Christ for pink lemonade. We don't want to offend anybody. If Jesus becomes offensive, then people will leave the church. But that word stumbling block in verse 23, it doesn't mean something that someone just trips on, right? Right? It's better translated as something that grossly offends. Did you catch the adjective there? No, they did. that offends. something that grossly offends. That's saying something. It's translated as something that is scandalous. We like to sit around and scratch our heads about the decline of the church and figure out what happened. Is it possible that we went too long assuming that everybody believed the gospel? and so we stopped telling the story. We got more concerned about being a respectable church rather than being a church built on the scandalous love of Christ. When our testimonies about what the Lord has done stopped being so scandalous, they stopped needing a scandalous Savior to give them power. And without the power of Christ... Our testimonies lose the persuasion of God to choose life over death. The Bible says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We already have the blood of the Lamb. That part's done, it's complete. It needs nothing more to fulfill its duty. What the world seems to be missing is our testimony. There are many who call themselves Christians today who care more about sharing the experiences of their favorite TV show or book or engaging in the latest political or cultural scandal than they care about reaching the nations with the scandalous love of Jesus Christ, the news that the God the Father has come down. But nothing affects our lives more than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no greater life-altering power that is going to transform this world, then the love and grace of God come down in human form. And there is no other name in heaven or on earth by which we must be saved. Our stories about the transforming power of Jesus Christ are meant to be a living narrative that proclaims the goodness of God in such a way that would compel somebody to turn from a life of shame and oppression towards a life of freedom and everlasting joy. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Don't go be offensive just to be offensive. And just because somebody's offended by your message doesn't mean that you shared the gospel and that God is pleased. Oh, I'm a Christian. Somebody rejected me. I'm being persecuted. No, you just might be being a jerk, right? It cannot be overstated that conversion never entails Coercion. Our sharing the faith as a means of coercion directly undercuts the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Coercion contradicts the power and the goodness of God. The supremacy of God declares that salvation offered through Jesus delivers us from bondage of sin. And it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who converts the hearts and, of men and women by revealing to them that they are children of God, saved by faith. And so the best way to communicate this truth of the gospel, it happens in two very important ways. We must retell the story. Did you hear what happened? And then we must live transformed lives. As ambassadors of the gospel who live on this side of the cross, you and I must walk with people like Christ walks with us. Be patient, humble, and loving, but also be ready to give an account for your faith, a reason for the hope that you have found in Christ above all others. If the cross is not an incident isolated to the first century, but it spans across the totality of human existence, then neither is our faith, simply an individual assertion, of belief between us and God. You and I are not saved as the final ending point of God's good work. Rather, our lives are meant to be a conduit through which the saving power of the gospel flows to someone else. Through proclamation and embodiment of the gospel, our ever-increasing ridiculous message to the world still remains It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how far you've gone away. There is no one who has gone beyond the depths of the grave. And that means that Jesus can meet you right where you are. It means that there is no one that Jesus cannot bring from death to life. Good news of the gospel proclaims that salvation is is not afforded to you because of your righteousness or your good works, but by the righteous work of Christ on your behalf. If we want to reach the nations, the next generation with the gospel, we're going to have to take a step back and realize how crazy what we're saying actually is. Some are going to hate it. Some are going to, they're they're going to be willing to give it a chance. And, Some of them are going to have their minds changed if we would just be a little bit honest about the parts that we still don't fully understand, but that we take by faith because we have seen God at work in our lives and in this world. I think being honest about the absurdity of the cross and the the resurrection and a life transformed by the Holy Spirit it's going to humble us to see our neighbors better. I think being honest about how ridiculous this all sounds helps us approach the conversation in a way that's going to help the gospel be heard. It reminds us that in all of our training and our tactics to share the gospel, that the only correct method is one that is heard and received. Right. I don't want to alter the gospel in a way that removes the scandalous love of Christ on the cross. I don't want to alter the gospel in a way that removes the power of the resurrection. But I do want to present the gospel in a way that speaks to you and to your heart. It means I'm going to have to learn something about you first. Because God is a God of redemption who is not indifferent, but is a God who actively seeks to be among his creation... Because God so loved the world that he dared to put on flesh and bone and walk among us, and because Jesus counted equality with God not as something to be grasped, but emptied himself and was obedient to the will of God, even to the point of death on a cross, then the love of God inside me compels me to want to get to know you for who you are and how you understand the world and how you have understood the gospel uh, and the Christian faith. And then, by the grace of God, may I humbly present a message that cuts against everything that you have been taught throughout your entire lives. It is indeed a foolish message because there is nothing else like it in human history. All the other religions and and forms of spirituality in this world teach us that you you do this or that thing or you say this or that thing or or you do these practices well, then that's how you get to heaven. This is the only message that says, no, no, no. Heaven has come down to you and there's nothing you needed to do to earn that. The world is gonna push back on the gospel of Jesus Christ as exclusive and arrogant and bombastic So, don't be impatient with them as as they grow angry uh, in their indifference. But Jesus is introducing a truth that the world has never seen. We don't come to God, it is God who first came to us. Don't be surprised when people call you fools, reject your practices, or slander your good name. Don't be dissuaded by the defamation and the indifference. Stand firm in the faith, preach truth teach Christ crucified for our sins, and live as people of the resurrection. The cross of Christ reminds us that the life and ministry of Jesus was scandalous. It does not conform to the understanding and logic of this world. It takes on torture, and it delivers triumph. It shoulders guilt, and it lifts up glory, and it brings life where there is death. Christianity is a foolish message and an arrogant religion unless it's true. And if it's true, it should change everything about who you are and how you love your neighbor. For they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. May I submit to you that the message of the cross is, is still scandalous because Jesus continues to seek and to save. Let's pray. Father God, with the truth of your word in our hearts and on our minds, we ask that you would give us boldness to go forth from this place and that not worried about our good name and what people might say about us, but worried about your good name and what people know about your son and that they know that they can experience the life-changing power of the gospel here and now today because you love us. Give us the strength and the boldness to carry this message to the ends of the earth. Open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears that we may see you at work and join you in the mission to redeem humanity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.